0: Hello and welcome to episode 130 of the Nerd Culture Podcast, the episode after 129 and before 131.
1: You don't mean episode 130, do you? 130. It's <laughs> not that special. But uh, <laughs> my, my name is David, we'll be in the NCP crew. Richard. There's actually no significance <laughs> to episode 130 whatsoever. Not at all. Uh, other than the fact that we've done 129 episodes and now this is the 130th. So, yep. if you're looking for some special reason for why we got so excited about 130, it's just not there. <laughs> um, look,
2: I just want to wish everyone out there a very, un, a very un Saint Valentine's Day. You know, if you spent yesterday, you know, cruising and on the internet and you know, doing what you know, cruising, the cruising <laughs> on, you do. Got the, on the interwebs and doing what you do. <laughs> Instead of you know spending you know quality time with your loved one, I salute you,
0: <laughs> cynical man. What if the internet is your loved one? <laughs> That's creepy, dude. I've seen, I've seen your browser history. Then know, if the you future, spend time away from that, <laughs> well, then you're all good. Then you're all good.
3: <laughs> hey, lovely Crystal. I love the way how Luke's <laughs> the youngest, but he sounds like an old man trying to use the young people's
0: language.
3: Hello, everybody.
0: For this episode, we have two dust jackets, uh, our, one from our sci-fi list and uh, one from one of our cruise picks, and our top five characters we love to hate. We hate them, but, but we love them. But we love them. They don't deserve any love, but we give it anyway. That's <laughs> like our... Our partners on
1: Valentine's Day. <gasps> what? <laughs> yes, did, did you spend your Valentine's Day with your wife or did you spend it playing World of Warcraft? A little bit of Columet, a, a little bit of
0: Columet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so without further ado, let's move on to our dust jacket. <laughs> so, let's, uh, so without further ado, let's move on to dust jacket number one, which is Richo and Crystal. Crystal forced to cooperate with
1: Richard on. (laughs) Say what? (laughs) On The Chrysalids by John Wyndham. Okay, The Chrysalids was uh, first published in 1955. For our US readers, um, apparently it was actually called Rebirth in America. Really? Yeah. I I don't know if that's still still called Rebirth I I don't know. Um, Oh, there you go. I've learned something. Yeah. Apparently, an, an early version of the book actually had the title Time for a Change.
0: I oh, know, I knew that, but yeah, yeah, that
1: yeah. Uh, that was obviously changed to oh, the there Chrysalids. There you go. Um, so yeah, so if you're looking for it in America, it may also be called Rebirth. It is uh, the book is set a few thousand years into the future um, after. Wait, sorry, can we just go back to that. Was there a reason for that? I'm sorry, I know I've sort of derailed the
0: thing, but was there a reason why, for why it was called Rebirth? I yeah. don't know. I've been willing to bet that it's been renamed Chrysalids now because the TV show, the series, the, the yeah, series was called yeah. the Chrysalids.
1: and it and it has become. Um, uh, a bit of a classic now, so yeah, maybe they've re- reverted it to its original title. Could
3: have been one of those weird publishing decisions.
1: Yeah. Maybe they didn't think that The Chrysalids was something that Americans would appreciate or understand. Or I was just thinking maybe it's some sort of
0: American term that means something really horrible. I don't know. Okay, right. I don't know. American, don't American
1: listeners, writing, let us know. Yeah, in my research, I was unable to find the answer to <laughs> why it was called Rebirth. But so right. um, yes, The Chrysalids is set a few thousand years into the future. After a some kind of post-apocalyptic event has occurred. It's never explicitly stated what that event is, but I I think it's fairly safe to say from the evidence presented that it was nuclear war. I think it was Justin Bieber inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That would be enough to do it. In 1955? Well, that's set in the future. (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, And um, humanity has, in um, rural Labrador... Um, has Which basically is, returned... Sorry
3: to interrupt. This is a real place. I didn't realise. I
1: thought he'd made up the name. No, no, no. It was a real place. When I first read the book, I actually assumed the same thing, um, yeah. that maybe they'd misunderstood and found something about Labradors and what that was saying. But Labrador Google is an is actual... Labrador is an actual place. So there you go. For any listeners in Labrador, we apologise.
3: <laughs> it's right near Dalmatian. <laughs> it's
1: <like> devastating. <laughs> yes, they've returned to a, um, a pre-Industrial Revolution rural community. They're a fairly small community, um, surrounded on most sides by what they refer to as Badlands, which are areas where the assumed radiation has mutated the uh, fauna and flora. But they maintain a level of religious zealotry that calls for purity amongst basically everything. So um, any slight deviation... Um, is seen as a sign of God's displeasure and the devil working to uh, influence them, and they dispose of it in an appropriate manner. By calling
0: Robin and his magical sword. That's right.
1: If if it's crops, um, they will burn the fields that have produced these, quote, deviant, unquote, crops. Uh, If it's animals, um, they will actually slaughter them. Or if it's humans, they will basically send them into an area called the fringes, Where they will also, um, uh, with the women, they will actually um, make it so that the women can't have children because they don't want these fringe, deviant fringe people um, breeding. So our main character in this story is David. Yay! Who has no um, actual physical mutation or deformity. However, he is telepathic. That's right. (laughs) And there is a group of eight uh children in total including himself who are telepathic and they share their uh thoughts and messages with one another um but david comes to understand even at an early age the kind of society he lives in and the dangers of these powers and so he and his friends try to keep it hidden he does experience early on um he befriends a a girl called sophie with six toes um which makes her a deviant. And sorry, I just love saying that. You are a deviant, and a mutant, and you've got to watch out for them. Um, Little known fact, that's the toe they use in uh, Big Lebowski. You could get you a sixth toe. She had one
0: extra. (laughs) That's right.
1: So, um, yes, naturally, of course, without giving too much away, um, as the story progresses, um, the attempts to um, keep these powers hidden go awry. Um, and that leads to you know the major thrust of, of the story, but um, cool. I, I don't want to give too much away about it's that. It's
3: hard not to give too much away with this story. I mean, I, it, uh, if the, one of the reasons I don't like in, reading introductions before I read a book is because they often do give too much away, right. and the introduction yeah. to this book, Comes uh, when, the end, when I went when I went right back and read it, gave way too much away. Yeah. Um, the, 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 this book is one that I really enjoyed going in cold and then discovering what David's capabilities were and learning about Sophie.
1: Yeah, agreed. Without
3: knowing what's going on. So, yeah, it's a a tough one.
1: Well, look, I'm just going to leave it at that for now. But suffice it to say that... that was too much. Six toes, telepathic (laughs) abilities. His name's
0: David... Yeah, I've revealed too you revealed much. You've revealed too much. Are you that's mocking right. me? No, i am mocking him. <laughs> that's right.
2: I would never mock you, would I? Too much. So the book is called The Quizlets, that is written by John Wyndham. <laughs> 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 too much. The I'm fact wrong. that it's a book, no, that's that's that just too much. Sorry. It is something. Yeah,
0: we've crossed the line, we've all.
1: We have crossed the line. Um, but suffice it to say, I think it's, it's fairly easy from the, even that brief description to see um, sort of some of the major themes that Wyndham is dealing with here. Um, and especially given that the book was written in the 50s, and the you know the, you, you can see the allusions towards you know the the hunt for communists and the red under the bed and all that sort of thing, um, but also um, better, better better dead than red, better dead than red. That is my favourite. <laughs> um, but what um, what I appreciate about this book is that Wyndham writes these characters as very real. Like I I, I fully became involved in david's story and in david as a person and in you know the kind of the kind of things that david was dealing with that need to conform whilst being different it's a it's a very universal message um and you know i i've encountered in in my own life people that um will dismiss you or even like physically assault you because they believe that you are different to them so i, I found myself very much relating to david's story and david as a character and the world itself, it, uh, Wyndham does a really, I think, a very good job of giving you the basics of the world without necessarily giving you long tracks of explanation and filling you in on all the details. Because, well, you know, what happened to the world and what, what caused the the disaster that led the world to this point isn't important. What's important is how the people in Labrador view um, what they call the, the, the tribulation, which was the... the Justin Bieber being invoked into the
0: whole thing. That's right.
1: Um, the important thing is what what how they view the event. And so it's more about belief systems and how belief systems can just distort people and affect their, it's an their illu- personalities and the society they live in.
3: It's an illustration how uh, human communities tend to, when they can't explain something, bring in a, a sort of a religious aspect to it to explain everything and then consider that religion, gospel, and, and to deviate from that is a sin
1: yeah exactly right
3: what i found uh most interesting about this book is even though it's written in the 1950s compared to other books i've read from that era that the female characters are very well realized you still have the sort of nuclear family the male is the patriarch and the leader of the of the family but in that particular setting in the town of labrador that fits really well whether you've written that in the 50s or whether you've written that present day it's just the way that town and their um community works but the, the female characters are just as engaging and interesting as the male characters
1: yeah absolutely agree look i i first read this book in high school um it was actually to be honest it was the single best book that we read in high school in so far as you know being part of the curriculum i loved reading this book back then and um you know that was that was the late eighties as we were coming to the end of uh, end of the Cold War and so that, I was very much looking at it from that perspective. It was interesting actually because that was that was what over twenty years ago now because yeah, I'm getting we're old yeah we're getting old <laughs> um, and so it was interesting actually rereading the book now and seeing how relevant it is to today's society um, where we exist in a world where really religious zealotry from multiple religions is affecting world politics and um you know we're, we're seeing acts of terrorism and responses to that and you know politicians invoking god for what you know as justification for whatever move it is that they want to do um and i found that that you know that the book has as much relevance for me reading it now in 2015 as it did in 1989 as it did I'm sure for people reading it in the 50s and 60s um yeah so that that really really amazed me
3: yeah I think it's because it's more about the human condition and the way humans react to situations rather than uh, actual topical events of the time exactly
1: yeah yeah th- these are universal issues that I think anybody can understand and relate to in really any time period yeah mm-hmm.
3: I I really wanted uh, a sequel set without giving it away, set in the place where they end up.
1: Yeah, yeah. To see
3: how they integrate themselves into that place.
1: It's it's actually interesting because the ending of the book is has been criticised by some by some critics um, as being a bit of a sort of an ex machina situation and. Bringing perhaps too much of a happy ending to things, um, I, I never really saw it as that at all. There's something um, wrong
3: with a happy ending.
1: No, really, the important thing for me here in this story was was the actual journey and, and the journey of the characters.
3: I wouldn't call it all happy.
1: No, no, or not at all. For all the characters, <laughs> there's some actually quite short yeah, moments here and there, but. Yeah. Um, that's, that's The Chrysalids, everybody. I strongly recommend reading it. Um, I, I loved this book when I read it as a teenager, and reading it again today, um, I, I still love it. And it's actually got me fired up. I'm actually quite excited about going back and reading some more of John Wyndham as well. So, uh, yeah, pretty exciting. My ranking, I'm going to give this. Well, book, where's, where's it ranked on the sci fi list? You're absolutely right! Oh, How could I forget the sci fi list? list? Okay. On um, sci-fi lists, it's actually ranked at number eighty-four, um, which I'll be honest with you, I think is actually the travesty. Yeah, it, it should be ranked much higher than that on the list, in my opinion. Um, but um, yeah, absolutely love this. The Chrysalids rereading it. Um, I give it four and a half looks.
3: I enjoyed every second of this book. It's a, it's a some of some of the books I've read from that time period. While well, fascinating, I wouldn't necessarily call it a page turner. But this one is what a page turner, you can't put it down. I, I give this book four, weeks.
0: Cool. Well, I am also a huge fan of this book, and probably you as well. Look, to I'm not sure I read it. Oh, you're uh, But it does, and uh, yeah, at first I was very jealous that uh, when we were divvying up who was going to review it and stuff, and uh, I uh, didn't get to do it. I'm glad now. Glad that I did. Oh, when we get to our review, you'll, you'll hear about it on the ancillary But um, yeah, I was, I was quite upset. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is it is awesome, awesome stuff. Cool, thanks to uh, Richo and Crystal. Let's move on to myself and young Luke and our dust jacket, which is Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie. Um, Ancillary Justice is um, the most recent
2: uh, Hugo Award winner. Um, won the Hugo Award in 2014, plus just about every single award a science fiction novel can be nominated for under the sun it seems it won the nebula it won the Arthur C. clark it won the um the bfc the
0: bfsa um it this is has been you know heavily so it has winner of the Arthur C. clark so it actually won a nebula as well it's won all it's won oh. just about everything i would rather the nebula only than the Arthur C. clark um, i don't think it had won the nebula I'd at that, that point at that point not um that point. <laughs> no
2: it, yeah but because the the white the edition the for the, se- the, um, the second book, which has just come out, has you know won every single award. Oh, okay. You go to the BFSA and the RC Clark and things like that. I thought um, he was going to
3: say BFG. No. Um, <laughs> um,
2: the story... Te- it, the and story Justice tells the story of Breck, um, a former ship's artificial intelligence who has now found herself inside a human body attempting to get revenge on the personal person's who not only destroyed the ship that she was the pro, that that she was the um the software software on, but also um, the captain who she was quite fond of, who was murdered during the. And you know all this, you know, within the first few pages of the story, she gets the maybe not the first few pages, but
0: certainly the blurb actually does give it away. Um, <laughs> the blurb, the, I, I, got, I just got to point that out. I'm glad you brought that up. But Like Crystal was saying with the introduction, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say anybody who wants to read this book and purchases a copy. Don't read the blurb. I'm the same with blurbs as I am with introductions. I never read the blurb. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Um, the story
2: is split into the first, certainly the first two hundred and 245 pages of the editions that we have are split into two narratives. One dealing with Breck in the in you know the pre, the present day as she's attempting to um, enact her plan, but also uh, interfered with by finding uh, Sfy ba- Saivad, and I can't. Pronounce the name properly, um, uh, a former junior officer on, um, on her ship attempting to heal he or she, and I'll get to what I mean by that in a moment. Um, he or she. You saw my smile when you, yeah. you described Break as a she? Yeah. Yeah. Um, to you. <laughs> uh, who she's found um, and feels somewhat responsible for, and then starts to slot Sveibarden uh, into her plan. Um, that's that's the that's the first part that's the first narrative and then the other narrative. Oh, tells no, the
0: major the major thrust of the first narrative is finding the gun. It's finding the gun as well, but that you know, it's all yeah. part of. And Ceno's yeah, basically it's all part. It's all, it's all part of Breck's attempts to get. It's all part
2: of Brex's attempts to enact her plan of revenge. Yeah, that first part. Exactly. And then the second part tells of her experiences as the artificial intelligence of Justice of, on the ship Justice of Toran um, on the a planet under the um under the rule of the Raji Empire. Which um, you know is the alien race that uh, she is the the ship's computer for.
0: Um, Isn't it funny how people pronounce that? So you, you pronounce it Radachi, Radchai. I pronounce it. Radchai. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. And her. In my head, it was always Radachi.
2: Um, her um, seeing the relationship between her and the captain of her ship, or the lieutenant of her ship, Lieutenant On, Um and then seeing the events that lead to the destruction of her ship. Uh, uh, And, yeah, seeing the events um, and the manipulations of the people around her and um, uh, Justice of Torrens attempt to um, circumnavigate those events and protect her lieutenant. And then it all sort of dovetails in the last um, hundred pages as Breck enacts one of the most beautifully complex master plans that is kind of simple, but when you think about it, goes that actually requires quite a lot of detailed thought. Um, yeah, and quite a lot of, of Quite a lot uh, of planning. Luck. Mm, a lot of luck. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed this novel, actually more than I thought I would. I read, I read this because it did win the Hugo, um, and my experiences as the past few Hugo winners have been um, <laughs> mediocre at best, and oh my goodness, can't believe that people thought this was good enough to even put on the list in the first place. I'm looking at you, Connie Wallace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, whereas I actually really enjoyed this sort of, Breck was a very well-realized character in both, uh, her attempts to sort of, in- uh, in- attempts to understand humanity and, or the humanity that she's surrounded with, and also as Justice of Toronto. One of the interesting things is that because the Radshai themselves are kind of an androgynous race, you know, their gender isn't quite so clearly, dis- uh, displayed physically, she actually has trouble distinguishing between gender. It, it's. It, mm. I had to read. No, I had to read around this. Read around this, well, reading up on other other sites. Uh, you know the. But, whenever she encounters anyone, it's she always. Uh, Breck always just uh, immediately mean, calls them she. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of other characters have to point out that actually Baden might actually be a male. Um, and then she has trouble distinguishing between a little girl that she meets at first, and then realizing that no, that she actually is a Female, and it's quite it's quite jarring at first because you're getting it totally from Brett's perspective, and so every single character that you meet is automatically female, and then suddenly someone will say something or do something that makes you go, "Oh, hang on, no, it could be male," and you're you're and she has trouble with that, and so you're in her head quite right from the outset, trying to distinguish what's going on in the world around her. Um, and I really I thought that was really interesting, and it didn't it didn't but it didn't detract from. Um, the story itself, it just gave you a little bit of an insight into how she works, um, and then seeing how that plays on, plays out later on. Not a major part of the story per se, but just
0: something immediately fascinating that you can latch onto about the character. I think it does detract from the story. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me tell you my, my journey of reading this book, right? Yep. So up until page, and I've got very specific pages here, yep. Up as I, when well, you I, and I have the same edition, I was so. up to yeah, so I was up to page eighty-seven, mm. I believe. Yep, so I got to page eighty-seven, and I just threw the book down in disgust and said, "I just can't read any more of this trash." Mm-hmm. Right, and the main reason for that was this gender, non-gender specific way language that, that mm. that's used by this by the. I call them the, the Radakis, the, mm. the, the Radakis race, or whatever or whatever. Um, and now I didn't, I didn't quite pick up on what you did, what you just said about how they're andro, they're sort of, they're humanoid, but androgynous. Actually, it was more they are quite clearly male and female, but the clothing that they wear. Is non-gender specific. I've um, read that because uh, she actually they talk about that in the the special features at the back, and oh, that's okay. where that cool. Okay, up. and then and then and the language itself is also mm. non-gender specific, mm. so so everybody is referred to as she, mm. regardless of whether you're a male or female, especially but those those races. Yeah. They they then get a bit confused, as you said, when you get when they get to the other races and stuff. Mm there's a particular pa- conversation that happens between uh, the doctor that has this object that um, Breck wants mm. um, and where they're talking, where, where they're talking about Swerijan or whatever it was. Swerijan. Anyway, whatever. And yeah, that's that, that very specific conversation where mm. the doctor, the Doctor, Strigen, is referring to Swivajin as a he, and Breck is referring to her as a she. Mm. And there's no confusion there, so they're both both referring to the same person Mm. in this non-gender thing, which at first I thought was fascinating Mm. until that point where I was like, this is ridiculous, right? Because I actually now can't picture I actually now find it impossible to picture these characters in my head, right? Because I I don't know Mm. about you, but when I'm reading a book, Mm. I like to picture how things are going and sort of make it a movie in my brain and all that sort of stuff, Mm. right? It's a pretty natural natural thing to do. Mm. Up until that point, I was quite convinced that Swaydajun was a girl, Mm -hmm. that Breck was a boy, strangely enough. Now, I want to to touch on that. That Breck was male and that Swaydajun was a girl, Mm -hmm. right? So I was fine with that. Until this conversation, where I was just, well, now my brain can't make any sense of this, right? Mm. What the hell is going on? And what I found very interesting about it is because even though I was like, well, I can't stop here because it's page 87 and I've got a 100-page rule, mm. right? Yep. So I kept reading. And I got to page 113. It's very important. I got to page 113 and I stopped and I was like, oh, my God, I've gone over the 100 pages because I was like, I'm just going to read the 100 pages and I don't care if I'm mid-word. I'm just going to throw this thing down, right? Mm. <laughs> so, but I got to 113 and I'm like, oh, my, oh, oh, I've read 13 pages more than I thought. and it was just, And I was entranced. Mm. I was like, I stayed up longer than... sleep. You know, I'm like, I'm reading it in bed, and uh, we are meant to go to bed, and we have had to sleep, and I'm like, I'm still reading! Um, can I just... Um, is that because, by page 113, all the stuff that's going on with
2: Justice of Toronto and Lieutenant's on? that's when that really starts to get No, no,
0: actually, the, all of the Awn stuff, I actually thought was quite fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought the story that, about acquiring this gun... Yep. ...just went on for far too long. Yeah. Right? I was just... I was like... Oh my god! Just shoot her in the head mm. and take the damn thing. Mm. You know it's here. Yeah. All right. So that whole process of, of trying to get the gun in the conversation on why we should her and stuff was far too long, right? Um, but it, it had come to an end. It, it, it was about to come to an end by that yeah. point. So Estranged was basically like, "Look, what is your end goal sort mm. of going to be?" And, and Brickfire eventually says, "Well, I'm going to do this." Mm. And she was like, "All right, here it is." <laughs> so you know, I was like, I was like, fine But but the, but the, the fascinating thing was that at this point, I actually. I actually now recognize I, I sort of pictured Breck as a girl, mm. right? And strangely enough, Swividen, S- S- I also pictured as a girl, mm. right? and that then made I then have sort of Solar- I just sort of think, why did I initially think Breck was a boy? Mm. Like, why did I think that? Right? And it's because I'm a boy, and because Breck was doing very boy-like things. Mm. You know Breck what I mean?
3: Breck sounds very masculine too. Yeah, it yeah.
0: sounds masculine, and and basically, in Breck is just a badass, like, takes no crap, It just, you know, does all this stuff, and for some for whatever reason, I just assumed that was a masculine type of thing.
2: It's funny, I've never actually had that. I just went, no, Brex, um, Brex a girl, or a woman, and I never actually as anything other than female. Mm. So it's interesting that you had that
0: reaction. I'm actually now thinking that all the ancillaries are male, are physically male. That's that's how, I, that's how I'm sort of picturing it now. That all, okay. It's like, all the officers are female, mm. And all the ancillaries are male. But anyway, that's just my mm. personal thing thrown on there. There's nothing in the book to suggest that. Mm. Um, but anyway, so I got to page 113 and I was like, oh my god, I'm, you know, I'm just in trance. And I just, I just couldn't stop reading it, mm. right? So I had to go to sleep, obviously. If I didn't have to sleep and work, I would have just read it throughout the night. Mm. So I was like, I was, I mean, as soon as I wake up, you know, I get ready for work, I'm reading on the train. Mm. I'm reading it. I'm reading it. You missed your stop. I, I missed my stop. <laughs> I missed my stop coming home because I was reading the book. And that'll give you an idea, right? And I never do that, yeah. right? And like, that very rarely happens. Like, <laughs> I'm like I'm watching a film or something, and but it, it, if it's a particularly good one, like the Babadook, um, <laughs> I'll miss that stuff. But anyway, so I just and, and you know, and I was during lunchtime. I'm not, I'm not talking. I'm not talking to my fellow workers. I'm reading the book, <laughs> and it just I just I was like I was in for quiet <laughs> and sinker. Yeah, it does take yeah. it does take a while to get to. I think the like I
2: said, I think this the um the other narrative, the narrative dealing with Lieutenant Dawn and. Um, Justice of Tarn and the, seeing the events that lead to the destruction of mm. um, Justice of Tarn are actually more interesting than seeing the, certainly that initial phase where Bre- or Breck is trying to look after Sivard and then get and get the gun, and it, that that takes too long to really cook. Whereas yeah. there is some more interesting things to engage you in that lead up to the destruction. Once you get once they get off the ice planet, I think the um, the main narrative actually starts to take. Starts to go forward, and you actually see the problems that Breck has actually dealing with Saivart. Yeah. And that
0: gives you some more things to go forward. Go I, was, I was cool with both stories. Mm. It's just the ice planet thing just, I think, just goes on a little too long. Yeah. No. Um, like I said, just take the damn thing. Mm. But anyway, so but, but that's when you then. I mean, but I guess it also gives you a chance to sort of learn more about Breck mm.
2: um, well, as an to, entity and, probably, and to get, just,
0: probably to care about her a little bit as yeah. well, you know, seeing that she has got someone to. Yeah, She can't take her eyes off And completely. I still, even with my, 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 my uh, what's the word? Right? Where I sort of my inner, my inner, uh, I can't fucking think of the word. Monologue? No, no. The, um, so even with my sort of, my reflection of, of myself and why I portrayed uh, portrayed Breck as male and, you know, by, you know and my ASXs and all that sort of stuff. I, sort of, I had this sort of like inner monologue. It was weird. Uh, and um, even, with, even beyond that, I still, I mean, I still stand by the fact, I think that that particular conversation, that paragraph... Hmm. Is stupid. <laughs> it's, just, it's just ridiculous. There would have been. I just think just easier ways to sort of describe what was going on without being so confusing about it. Um, and and yeah, the thing that goes a little bit too long. But so, so I still say the first eighty-seven pages is trash. <laughs> everything, but uh, like how it all then leads into what happens on the water mm-hmm. planet and and uh, and what Brett goes through and then leads into the final thing. It's all necessary. Yeah. And so uh, it's it's like. I can now sort of in reflection sort of go back and think like okay well obviously at some point I was bored but now it just but it leads up to this Mm. which is awesome yeah and so therefore I'm I'm cool
2: yeah a little bit of a bit of editing in the first say yeah like the first 87 to 100 pages Mm. Um, but once you get past that it's actually I think quite um, readable and highly entertaining I suppose they gave it a better cover yeah the cover is ridiculous. Just it looks like a um uh, it looks like a video
0: game adaptation.
2: It looks like a bad, you know, 90s oh, you blockbuster go. novel. Um uh, a highly enjoyable read if um if a little slow to get going, um but I can see why people were raving about it and kind of why a lot of awards have he- been heaped on it.
0: Um I give this four looks. Yeah, I I I'm the same. I can I can understand. I basically I I tend to sort of ignore awards <laughs> as a general rule because as the Oscars has proven <laughs> it's, it's, it's you know it's 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 all political and stuff like that mm. and and like you said there was there's been some Hugo nominees and winners that are just just utter rubbish mm. it's like wives and stuff um but I can understand why this i mean this is i mean they say this it, this is said so often that it becomes it's it's basically become a joke where it's a it's a new voice in insert genre here mm. you yeah. know and, and this book has been described as a new voice in science fiction and stuff like that. I wouldn't go so far as say it's a new voice i've seen. Yeah. Bits
2: and pieces of what it's doing, in other, thing, like, in other things, and that's going to be unavoidable. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly an engaging read, and I will, at some point, read *Ancillary Resort, the follow-up.
0: Yeah, as I was, up, that was this, called *Ancillary Sword*. Yeah, so it's. I mean, so yeah, so it, I, mean, I agree. That's basically exactly what I was about to say. Mm. So it's, I don't think it's a new voice. It doesn't. It doesn't break any new ground. Um, but I am fascinated by this genderless way of thinking. Mm. Um, I just think that's very interesting. It's like a, it, it seems. It's almost feminist, I suppose, in a way. I, I, I suppose, but it's but it's not sort of in your face, sort of you know, women are better than men or sort of stuff. Mm. I, mean, it's, I, I just I find it fascinating how it's, except for that particular paragraph about mm. how it's sort of the ideals, the ideals behind it, and sort mm. of why it's, why it's structured that way. Um, and and uh, and Breck is just awesome. Yes, and and the situation that she finds herself in. Mm. You know, is at the end is is interesting and and uh, I'm hooked. And also, on the feeling, and also kind of the <laughs> loss that she feels as well. One of the just quickly one <laughs> one thing we actually haven't really touched on is the fact
2: that she feels very disconnected. Yeah, because she's used to being part of you know this um, uh, great network, and yeah. now she's completely cut off from that. And, and learning that they, to deal and learning to deal with it. And yeah, they, it yeah that's it's also quite interesting. So yeah, I'm more than I will at some point check out the follow up to see if it continues
0: well i'm with you i also give it four looks mm. cool okay well before we move on to uh, <laughs> the rest of the show um i uh, do apologize for us not doing it the last dust jacket episode i do apologize for that uh but um we uh will reveal the books for the next dust jacket episode uh
1: so the book from the sci-fi list top 200 is the fifth head of cerberus by gene Wolfe. so if you want to join along pick that book up and give it a read before our next uh, Dust Jacket show. Awesome.
0: And the next crew pick is... Lovely, Chris? Uh, David
3: uh, strongly encouraged me to do the (laughs) second Book of the Fae, so we'll we'll be doing that, and I I can only assume that David will be reviewing that with me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it'd be pretty hard for me to strongly encourage and then foist Luke into it or something like that. Yeah, I'd
3: don't know that we could want
0: to <laughs> that would be in like, you know, order to read the second book i'd have, you to, have finish to finish the, the first,
2: first book <laughs> well, that
3: could turn out to be a good thing like after the 87th page it might turn out to be awesome <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: 100 page rule luke yes except i got to page 150 <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> well past 87 Fair yeah. um so yes yeah, so that'll be richard and luke on fifth heaven Cerberus, and myself and crystal on the Faye book too uh so let's move on to our top fives So like i said top five this if uh, this episode is uh, the characters we love to hate so you know characters that are scum but <laughs> we love them anyway for whatever reason because rich complained about it last uh two episodes ago last oh no i'm happy time to time go first five. this no, time no no you're not going go, you're not going go first you're going no. second now all right fair enough it's going to be the new order all right. ladies first Crystal,
3: <laughs> new order <laughs> blue monday so all, I've got, all I've got in my head is now, how does it feel? <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm first on now. As it should be. My top five characters, I love the hate. Now, I believe this was the top five
0: that I came up with. Well, you came up with it, so you don't have to believe it. it. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and, yes, it is.
3: And, I, and I'll get to my and reasons why I came up with the top, this one when I get to my number one. Yes. Otherwise, it won't make any sense. But (laughs) okay, coming in at number five of characters we all love to hate is Newman. Hello, Newman. (laughs)
0: Hello, He's It's the way that every episode. Um,
3: (laughs) It's it's just he's he's a despicable character, but we love it when he's on the screen (laughs) because he's just so funny, and we just (laughs) love it when things go wrong for for Newman.
0: That's fair enough.
3: Newman, who doesn't deliver the post, he just... I know, he's, he's never actually seen him
0: delivering the post. No, but we do yeah. see
2: him take days off from delivering the post. <laughs> uh, there's
3: a there's a whole stash of the letters somewhere that Newman should be delivering. Uh, <laughs> coming in at number four, and, I, and I, it took me a little while. I got my, first, my top three just off the top of my head, then I had to sort of think about four hmm. and five, and I did a bit of internet, and I thought, couldn't believe I didn't think of this sooner. Dr. Zachary Smith.
0: Nice!
3: Oh, the pain. <laughs> the pain! He's just a terrible, awful person, but he's so entertaining to watch. <laughs> and, I'm, of course, I'm talking about the original series Lost in Space, Dr. Smith, not... not um, Gary Oldman Gary Alban, no
1: although he was good mm. he was the only good thing in the film no, that's cool. you know.
3: that film is awful and not because he, his he character was, was well written because it was, was
1: played by Gary Oldman yeah. Yeah, yeah, he
3: was no Jonathan Harris no who was just <laughs> awesome
0: <laughs> do the pain? did he get? oh, the pain
3: <laughs> <laughs> funny enough,
2: like, all I can think of now is Homer when Homer does it on Simpsons yes
0: <laughs>
3: coming in at number three is Arnold Judas Rimmer <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, his middle name.
3: He <laughs> he almost he almost didn't make it in my list because he does have some likable qualities and and at times I do feel a bit sorry for him. But most of the time he's just such a smeghead <laughs> that that he, that no, he no, got. No, no, You get you, right. Smee,
1: <laughs> smee.
3: <laughs> um, he's just. I think he's the best character in Red Dwarf because he gets some of the best lines, but sort of kind of gets overlooked because. You, you're, you're geared towards hating him so much, right. but some of the greatest lines in the show are delivered by Arnold J. River. <laughs> <laughs> the Quagars, <Quakers. laughs> aliens. <laughs> Number two in my list. Um, it's just uh, just popped into my head. This is my all-time most hated character. I don't have any likable qualities about this character at all. It's Twitty Pie brilliant! <laughs> <laughs> what an out there choice from the from the Warner Brothers cartoons. You know,
2: whenever so you were i were always rooting for Sylvester. Whenever
3: I watch this cartoon, i was yep. always on Sylvester's side. I just wanted him to be able to eat that annoying <laughs> little bird. Whose just cuteness is just made mm. it was sickening to me, and I just want just go away and learn to talk properly, stupid little bird. And uh, and what's worse, if if Tweety Boy wasn't sickeningly sweet enough, there's a baby Tweety.
1: <laughs> I, I've just got to heartily endorse your, your, your suggestion it's here my because, most, my God, I hated Tweety as well. I love
3: the Warner Brothers cartoons, but it's my most hated character. Awesome. Ever. And my number one top five, the inspiration for this top five um, is Frank Burns from M.A.S.H. Because <laughs> Frank Burns, once again, has no local qualities whatsoever. He's only in it for himself. He's a coward. He'd sell his own mother if he had to. And it took me many years to realise this because when you're a kid watching TV shows, you like you just hate that person. And you don't, you don't equate that person's being played by a very talented actor. You just hate that person. And I as gradually come to realise that Larry Linville, who played Frank Burns, is such a talented actor to be able to portray someone who is so believably awful and universally hated by the the rest of the characters in the show, that it just, it blew my mind when I came to that realisation. I just think Frank Burns is just an awesome character. He's not as, probably not maybe as three, you don't go into the depths of Frank Burns' character like you do with Hawkeye, but he's just, without Frank Burns, MASH would be, I think, a little bit one-sided.
0: Yeah.
3: Fair enough. That's my top five.
1: Cool. Richard, can give a second. <laughs> Why, thank you. Yeah, I, this is a, another list I've, I've actually struggled with quite a bit because the definition of characters you love to hate, I, I just had no idea what, what we were trying to go with exactly. And just listening to your list, my list has actually come out quite different to that. But um, yeah, we'll go through it anyway. I, I will point out it's a little bit HBO top heavy, <laughs> um, but there, there is a good reason for that. And I think that's because HBO is producing a lot of shows with characters that are really quite sort of detailed and three-dimensional and you really sort of get involved but um my first character is actually a comic character because I just I wanted to throw one of those in um uh so at number 5 I have Amanda Waller uh specifically as she's depicted in John Ostranders Suicide Squad series which is one of my favorite uh comic book series from the 80s and one of my favorite of all time um, She is manipulative, she is controlling, she doesn't tell her team half the time what she's doing, she sends them into missions where she knows they're going to get killed and doesn't really care all that much. But at the same time, she's this incredibly in-depth three-dimensional character and you find out so many interesting things about her um, as the series progresses. And whilst I don't necessarily justify most of what she does you do get an understanding of why she is the way that she is and why she does what she does and all the hardships and everything she's had to go through. So while she's kind of a despicable character, she is also quite awesome in that regard (laughs) along similar lines, very similar lines, uh, but not quite as detailed. I I think a character, um, my number four is Jack Bauer from 24. (laughs) Next in Twenty Four, I, I love watching Twenty Four. It's it's a <laughs> completely silly show, and I understand how highly contrived it is. But once once you get past that, you Jack know Bauer to go to the toilet on that <laughs> show. There's no time to go. No to go. time to go. <laughs> to go to the toilet. <laughs> Usually we're rushing around in cars and things like that. But well, i I love watching Jack Bauer, and I love watching what Jack Bauer does. But at the same time, if that character was a real person, I would find him totally despicable. He's like he's like Guantanamo Bay in, like, human form. It's like, for him, For him, any ends justify the means, you know. Oh, I um, like that, but that's what mean, human form. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he, he will kill, he will maim, he will torture, he will do whatever it takes. I and is, when uses- he chops off
0: that dude's head.
1: Yeah, he, he <laughs> shoots a guy, chops off his head, and puts it in a box just so that he can get in, like on these other to prove his allegiance. What about when he tries to extract information from a guy by shooting his wife right. in the <laughs> leg? That's, like, that's <laughs> my second favorite. One. Yeah, so like, like I said, this character is totally despicable, and in real life, I would, I would find him an abhorrent person. But I do love watching him <laughs> on the show, and of course, Keith the Sutherland's performance of the character is just fantastic. So he's my number four. Um... My number three is, um, Cy Tolliver from Deadwood, as played by Powers Booth. Um, Powers Booth. What, um, what I find interesting about Tolliver is, first of all, he is a character with absolutely no morals whatsoever. He's one of those characters that just loves destroying people's lives and takes absolute glee in doing it. But, um...
3: He actually makes, um...
1: He, Swear, he actually
3: makes Sweringen look like a nice guy, and,
1: and that's what I like. <laughs> that's what I love about this is that he is effectively a very similar person to Swearingen. But he is what it, he is Swearingen If Swerengen had absolutely no morals whatsoever, no conscience. And, you know, and, no, and no actual conscience, and no code of honour, like Sweringen is not a nice man but at the same time he's often working for the benefit of of what he sees as the best course of actions for deadwood Mm. and the territories whereas Sullivan, he's just a monster yeah but i love that and i love Powers booth (laughs) the way he plays the character i just you know you hang off every scene that he's in because he's just so good so that was my name powers and his name is powers booth um (laughs) now he is he is really the third most monstrous character i've seen on a tv show my number two character is the second most monstrous person i've ever seen and um that is vernon Sh- vernon schillinger as played by jk simmons in the tv series oz in the very first episode when you meet the character um he's he's basically he's a neo-nazi yeah and he he rapes the main character like the fir- in the first episode um He is, he is a monster. He is horrible and just, but J.K. Simmons is so charismatic. That you just you're drawn to the character and you're drawn to all the monstrous na- elements that make up the character's personality and and he and never really gets gets any better. Like in fact, most of the time he gets worse as the show progresses. But you just you, you're drawn in by that character. Um, which brings me to the number one choice. And to be honest with you, this is the only name that popped into my head the minute that I read that that's what the the topic was going to be. Um, and that's Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones because. I mean I loved the character and, and uh, Jack Gleason did a fantastic so convincing a job that people on the street were harassing <laughs> him because he
0: played this character. When I when I saw a video of him being the, to be just being himself and he's he's so sweet and loving and yeah. and nice. And a nice guy, that's right. And I didn't believe it, I thought it was staged. Yeah. I thought it was a, a funny little die stage video. Yeah. <laughs> but it wasn't.
1: I was like, and what? and that's the strength of the performance and the strength of Drothre because there's a, there's a lot of not nice characters in Game of Thrones. But he was the only one that I just wanted dead. Like, it's like, (laughs) somebody has got to give you comeuppance at some point. That's true. But but he added something really, really interesting to the show. Like, I I was really enthralled by his story, even though I wanted him dead. And so I think that makes him kind of the... That makes him my textbook definition of love to hate. Fair enough. So, yeah. Look...
2: Um, I also struggled with this one to the point that I didn't come up, couldn't come up with five. Okay. Um, I came up with three. And the reason for that is that I have such a love of despicable characters <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for a variety of reasons. And generally, a lot of the despicable characters that I like that I really should hate, um, I like because there's always an intelligence about them. And I like seeing how they solve problems or, you know, come up with... In the case of, say, someone like Malcolm Tucker, the creative but highly abusive <laughs> terms of phrase that um, he uses to uh, express just what he thinks of a certain of the person that's in front of him. And um, so yeah. I don't actually end up hating him. Like, I keep wanting to watch more, because I keep wanting more of that.
1: And I, I really want to quote him right now, but I can't think of a single quote that would actually be appropriate for this show. <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah, like I said, struggle with this one, and I only came up with three. And my number three one is... Angel Eyes, played by Lee Van Cleef from *The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly*, yeah. and the reason for that is that of the three, he is the most totally despicable one. He is the out and out villain, and right for the moment, you want him dead. Yeah, you know, you, you you want you want Clint to kind of get away with it. You like Eli Wallach; he is the one who has to die. He is the absolute problem here, uh, which is, well, that's not a reflection of <laughs> structure or craft. He's, you know, a, a very well, a very well constructed villain and very well acted by Lee Van Cleef. Um, but from the moment that he comes on, yep, dead, gone, let the other two have the gold. <laughs> um, um, my number two um, is, I can't remember the actor's name, but he is Jebediah Shine from uh, Series 2 of Ripper Street. And he is the corrupt head of J-Division, and is introduced as being quite a respectable, but quite a smart and certainly charismatic character. Um, and yeah, they set up, you know, quite an interesting uh, antagonism between him and Matthew McFadgin the hero of the piece. Um, and you're looking forward to the the backwards and forwards and the duel that's going to erupt between the two. However, there is a moment in the second episode, um, and I'm not going to give it away because it's quite poignant and it's quite um uh, quite sad. Where he does something, and from that point on, I just wanted, still liked the character, I just wanted him to die. <laughs> Um, Again, out of context there's a bit of we a theme were- there I want this character dead. Yeah. Well, that's what I, you know I, 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 yeah I, that's how you interpret like I said, it I can't hate people like Malcolm Tucker or Gully Foyle because qu- I quite like quite enjoy what they do yeah um, whereas um, Gully Foyle I quite like what they do well, like, that know, should quite, be the, that should be the quote on your biography. Yeah. <laughs>
1: that should be on a t-shirt for Luke um <laughs>
2: You know, I quite I, I, you know watching watching the, the the scheming that they go through. Whereas with Jebediah Shine, no, mm. just want
1: you dead. So and I, I, and what, that that was kind of the definition that we came up with because yeah. we, we talked a bit about what it was that we thought that term gotcha. meant, mm. and that was pretty much what we came up with. What characters do you want dead, even though you love seeing them? Mm.
2: Yeah, and yeah, and my number one, I've got to agree with Richard on this one. It is Joffrey. There just comes a point watching Game of Thrones where you don't just want him dead. You start going, okay, it's going to be this character who's going to kill him off. Uh, yeah. And that'll change an episode, or even five minutes later, when he, um, <laughs> do, when he does something completely nasty to another character. And you go, no, nope, that person's going to kill him. So then you end up running up with a scorecard with the <laughs> amount of people that he is seriously annoyed mm. who are
1: going to kill him off, who are going to get him. Um I was actually imagining while I was watching Game of Thrones something like um say, Julius Caesar, where just all the characters just lined up, and each one got to stab him once just so that everybody could kill him. so <laughs> it's like a line of three hundred people all waiting to get to him
0: Well, mine are not that vicious <laughs> mine, mine were more I sort of interpreted more as um the characters that are you know specifically they're bad guys. But I just I liked I enjoyed watching them on the screen. I didn't necessarily want them dead, although a couple of them I suppose I do. But it's, it's, it wasn't like the ones I actually. I was like, oh my god, I just I can't stand to watch that character anymore. So so mine's a little bit more lighthearted from your viciousness, engage <laughs> <laughs> Joffrey. Uh, no, my number five was actually a tie. But now that I'm think, thinking about it more, about how you know that we're all talking, I'll, I'll, I'll scrap the other guy and uh, go with Shuriken. Uh, just because I just think he's just a because he's, he's a bad guy, mm. but like Rachel said, he he thinks. He's doing for the greater good. He's trying no. to rise above what he did in the past and sort of try and do for the greater good. But he's still a bastard, let's be honest. Number four, I've got um, Norman Stansfield as played by Gary Oldman again uh, in Leon the Professional. Uh, he's the 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 drug the DEA guy who's who's uh, he's basically he's off the rails mm. and he's just he's complete scum. Um, and even though Leon is. A professional hitman. <laughs> so, like, so technically a bad guy. But, you know, I mean, he's a lovable yeah, sort of... Sort of uh, and world. as has a, a strong code, you know. Yeah. You no know, women, no children. Yeah, that, that sort of business. Gary Oldman just knocks it out of the park. <laughs> it's just absolutely brilliant, brilliant performance. Now, number three, I just I threw in as a bit of a laugh, just to be honest with you, but uh, that's Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. Oh! Because <laughs> 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 he's, he's an idiot. And he's just... But he's, he's such an arrogant just twat <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> and then he eventually gets his cover now the reason the reason he sort of stuck in my mind a lot was because there's a video online that I just, I just want you to check out where uh, there's a little girl at Disney World uh, talking to the guy who's dressed up as Gaston and their exchange is just comedy gold <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch so uh, I mean that guy should get a raise because he really really wins characters because also uh, number two I've got Darth Vader because He's the ultimate villain and, you know, he's, I mean, he's, I mean, he wipes out entire star systems and, and does horrible, horrible things and, you know, especially all, kills all the kids at the Jedi Temple and all that sort of business. Uh, but let's face it, he's freaking awesome. <laughs> so, you know, it's a, I love to hate him. Uh, and number one is Hans Gruber. As played by Alan Rickman from the from the Die
1: Hard film, see he, he almost <laughs> made my list. Yeah, but he's I actually, awesome. but I, as Luke pointed out, you actually don't want him dead. Like so <laughs> based on my, well, thing. mine's different because I didn't want, yeah. him to want him dead. But yeah. I just
0: I mean, I Hans Gruber, I think Alan Rickman is awesome. I just I love Alan Rickman as a person, and Hans Gruber as a character is just brilliant. And I actually wanted him to succeed. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, yeah. I actually wanted him to
3: succeed. <laughs> I know we're not doing any honourable mentions, but uh, I just wanted to throw when I was doing a bit of a looking around on the internet, the person who consistently appeared on most of the lists I look at, surprised me, it was Ross Geller.
0: Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> interesting. But uh, no, Hansel Gruber is, unlike Ross Geller, an awesome character, and uh, it's,
1: it's number one. So that's our top five. Yay! Yay! Uh-huh. Thanks for Crystal Fair. doing it's, that one. It's interesting how... Um... Unlike most top fives, it's interesting how we've all interpreted this slightly differently from one another, Yeah, which I thought was an interesting That's sort good of point. change to our usual lists. Maybe so, we should have like a blurb underneath it.
0: And what I mean by this <laughs> is I, this. All, all we really
3: needed to clarify was just Frank Burns. <laughs> <laughs> I guess
0: so. Yeah, an example yeah, so well, too. Frank Burns, see, I like, I like Frank Burns. Yeah. He's Yeah. Next up, coming soon. In Australian cinemas, February 19th, we get Jupiter Ascending, which just looks horrible. I'm not going to deny it. The, the Wachowski brothers. like drops of Jupiter. Uh, you actually can't say Wachowski brothers anymore. Well, the Wachowski brother and sister. Yeah. <laughs> the Wachowski siblings. siblings. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Wachowski the siblings. Why, why can't we? What's why? that? Because Larry gender is Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Gender, I didn't know that. Gender rare, so, yeah. Right. Yeah. Are
3: they related to Mike Wachowski? Mm, Probably not,
0: <laughs> but I think it is about the same, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. <laughs> right, anyway. um, yeah so, and I know. Anyway, it's, science, science fiction. Yeah, the next science fiction epic, and I just it just think it looks terrible. So, anyway, uh, and we also get Rosewater, which is John Stewart's directorial debut about some guy who was captured in a war somewhere. I'm not. Anyway, it's, it's John Stewart from The Daily Show's directorial debu- debut. So,
3: mm. Mm. God, not a taste to like flavor.
0: You're on fire today.
3: So that's it for episode
0: does he
2: 130. It? Is he, does he end up making baklava with it? Stop it. <laughs> They'll be both horrible I like, people. I like baklava. So if you like. can make me some baklava, that'll be good. Rosewater is nice. Hmm. <laughs> so
0: that's episode 130 in the bag. Thank you very much for joining us for our dust jacket episode.
1: Richard. I actually wanted to put uh, David as my top person I love to hate, but he wouldn't let me do that. <gasps> but I do love you, man and I hate you at oh, the same look time
3: is the hate,
2: awesome hate
1: awesome is a very player. powerful emotion we'll talk after the show <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> my problem is that I hate everyone but, but you I, love them all as well
1: that's a good point
2: in <laughs> fact we both gave it the same score I know I feel
0: corrupted Feels, somehow I feel dirty
1: in some way and I'm it's not just everyone me it's me everything sure. as well like Luke just hates Luke is hate <laughs>
0: <laughs> everything is awesome and Crystal
3: Frank Burns eats worms <laughs> Bye Hi. You've been listening to Nerd Culture Podcast We'd love to hear from you Send us an email to
0: Feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com
3: You can write on our wall if you go to the Facebook page Go to facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast Tweet us at nerdculturecast Skype us on nerdculturepodcast If we don't answer, leave a message, we might even play it on the show You can comment on any post on our website
2: www.nerdculturepodcast.com
3: If you'd like to support the show, use the Amazon affiliate widget on our website to do your Amazon shopping. It doesn't cost you any extra, and a small percentage of the profit goes towards helping us to produce our show. We can see what you buy, but not who you are, so your privacy is assured. Check out our videos at ncptv.net, or search for NCPTV on YouTube, because we also have a YouTube channel. Don't forget, you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Wondering where you can hear more of Bo? go
0: to ecnradio.com Bo
3: and David also have another podcast called Film Flams. More info at
0: www.filmflames.com.
3: You can find all of our podcasts and more at
1: undercastnetwork.com, undercastnetwork.com.
3: Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.